Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I don't. Some bad hat Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. And I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Pose Season 1. Damask Leary. Hello again. Nice to see you again. It feels Hello, like we haven't done this in ages. Old friend. I know. <laughs> How are you? I'm look, I was gonna say I'm good. That was that would be a lie. I woke up this morning and my neck and shoulder absolutely fucked. I don't know what I did while I was sleeping last night. Um, but I've got some real movement issues in a lot of pain. But I'm here because, you know. I'm a bit of a martyr like that. And everyone at home, <laughs> you're welcome. What a hero. What a hero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How I'd are ask you, Brad? Quest- I'd ask you a bunch of questions about this now, but I would, I would literally start a 10-minute like chiropractic consultation. I don't want to do that Oh, right free consultation. I'm in for it. Yeah. All right. Let's not do that on the podcast. I'm good. <laughs> okay. I'm uh, in a new space. This room that I'm yes, currently in, I bought and own, which is very, very nice. Yeah, property owner. However, eat the rich. Eat the rich. <laughs> However, uh, it probably, I'm guessing it's a bit echoey. It sounds a bit echoey to my ears. So, apologies if that comes through on the podcast. It probably will. Um, at some stage, there'll be more stuff in this room to absorb that sound. Um, and if I need to, I'll figure out some way to do some... Um, the good you know, thing is that you own that place. So, you can just cover those walls with just a shit ton of foam and you don't have a landlord that's going to kick you out. So, that's nice. Yeah, I don't have a landlord. I have a girlfriend who doesn't want our study to be covered in foam and shit. Uh, so the old ball and chain, they're a landlord in and of themselves. Am I right, fellas? I want to say thank you to all the listeners for being very patient with us uh, because we have had a bit of an extended break. Um, It was much needed for a lot of reasons, particularly because I was moving house. Um, I think you've been pretty busy with schoolwork and stuff as well, Damask. Yes, I'm almost finished. I've got one large project to do and then like a smaller assignment. And then after that, I will be a master, a master of education. Wow. So if you've got any questions about education, I'll be able to answer them. Don't worry about it. Hopefully people enjoyed uh, what we put up. What did we put up? We put up a rerun of one of our early episodes, which Dead I don't like know if me? that's enjoyable enough. Yeah, Dead Like Me season two. <laughs> I, I refuse to listen to it. I, <laughs> this is no fucking Having way. had to prepare it. For the feed, I had to listen to it a little bit, and I'm, I kind of mm. wish I hadn't. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if you feel free to go back and enjoy that. In the meantime, though, we should get back on track, and let's get to our spoiler-free review of Pose Season One. Let me clue you in. Season in review. 
Pose is an American drama television series created by Ryan Murphy, Brad Falchuk, and Steve Canals about New York City's African-American, Latino, LGBTQ, and gender non-conforming ballroom culture scene in the 1980s and 90s, in which participants compete for trophies and recognition in the ball underground culture, supporting one another in a network of chosen families known as Houses. Pose premiered on FX on June 3rd, 2018, and stars MJ Rodriguez, Dominic Jackson, Billy Porter, Indira Moore, Ryan Jamal Swain, Charlene Woodard, Angel Bismarck Curiel... Dillon Burnside, Evan Peters, Kate Mara, and James Vanderbeek having a lot of fun as a gross Donald Trump wannabe. Pose season one consists of eight episodes, each coming in at around 55 minutes. It took us approximately seven hours and 20 minutes to watch. The first season received numerous award nominations, including from the Golden Globe Awards for Best Television Series Drama and Best Actor in a Television Series Drama for Billy Porter, and Emmy Award nominations for Outstanding Drama Series and Outstanding Lead Actor in a Drama Series, which Billy Porter won the first openly gay black man to be nominated for and win an Emmy in a lead acting category. So, Damask, after all that, how familiar are you with ball culture, drag culture, and the like? Um, so, I speak a little bit about this in my spoiler-free review, just very briefly. So, in terms of ball culture, um, many moons ago now, I watched the documentary Paris is Burning, um, which is about that culture and filmed at that time. However, there is a lot of, a bit of controversy around that documentary because it was filmed by outsiders who came in and a lot of people that participated in that documentary um, were a little bit angry that these filmmakers benefited from coming into their culture and they didn't and I think that's totally valid and something to acknowledge. Sure. In terms of drag... Um, in Melbourne, I go to Circuit quite regularly, which um, has a great drag scene and I really love that. I, of course, watch Drag Race, um, have for many, many years, really enjoy that, though that isn't without its own problems as well. Um, but I, I mean, I've always wanted to be a drag king, but I've never actually got the, ever had the balls to do it. But that's, that's the, my very limited knowledge of that world. What about you, Brod? Very little knowledge, definitely much less than you. Uh, never heard of ball culture, have not, I'm aware of drag, have seen drag queens here or there, I guess. Never been to a show or anything like that or anything involving drag queens, really. Have not watched RuPaul's, have been meaning to watch RuPaul's. You've told, recommended a couple of seasons to me that I need to watch. Haven't uh-huh, done it yet, yep. though. So, my, I'm coming to this as a complete newbie. Very, very, very uninitiated, you might say. Mm. With Classic straight all, man. Yeah, yes, I mentioned that in my review as well. With that <laughs> in mind, Damask, could you please give us your spoiler-free review of Pose Season 1? It would be my honour and privilege, Broderick. Okay, so I need to start this review by saying that I really, really, really wanted to like this show. I can't express just how much I wanted to fall head over heels in love, but unfortunately I didn't. Now, my like mm. I was saying earlier, my only exposure to the ballroom culture that existed in New York during the 80s is the documentary Paris is Burning. Um, and I think that's probably true of, if anyone's aware of it, it's probably through that documentary. 
And that documentary was fascinating, but like I said, it's from an outsider's perspective and it has problems there. Uh, But I was really looking forward to seeing a fictional depiction of that world and to get to know both individual characters within the world, as well as the ins and outs of the competitions themselves. I was really fascinated about how they would work. There are a couple of components that inhibited both my enjoyment and engagement with this show. Firstly, this, this series does a whole lot of telling instead of showing. Quite often, you will have a character telling the audience about a realization or a traumatic backstory without that being shown. There's a whole lot of, you know, this thing happened to me and that's why I'm this way. Whereas, you know, me, the audience member, I want to see it. Show me how that experience affects the way they interact with the world in everyday life. Instead, we get a lot of lecturing about the virtues or fallibilities of each character. But as an audience member, I never felt like I was going to know them better by witnessing their life. And with that comes my next issue. And that is a lack of genuinely dynamic and complicated characters with clear growth or arcs. You know, you have your good guys who are so good that they lack any flaws You know, they might make a mistake, though usually they don't. And when they do, they immediately realize the mistake and make moves to correct it. There's no real growing. You know, it's just a bunch of stuff that happens. And then you have the bad guys. You know, they're bad when they need to be bad. Then they are your best friend when they need to be that. And then they're bad again to facilitate a moment of triumph for our heroes. There's no real journey here. And that, for me, is a real shame. What this show does have going for it is a wonderful cast that absolutely obliterates the fallacy that certain demographics can't be portrayed by those within that community because there's a lack of talent. This show unequivocally proves that wrong. This show proves that you don't need cis people to play trans and this show should be a lesson to anyone in the industry that uses that excuse about this community or any other. It's bullshit and fueled by laziness. I wish I had more positives because I think this show could have and should have been great, but it's not. You know, who knows, maybe season two takes it to the next level. But at this stage, I'm not invested enough to find out. That's my review. Very interesting. Okay. Mm. It is fair to say that I have very little familiarity with this world. All things considered, I'm pretty run-of-the-mill straight white male with interests common to straight white men. The setting of the show would likely be a huge turnoff for many cis men like myself, or at the very least, a huge barrier of entry. I freely admit that I have no idea what voguing is and can feel intimidated talking about sexuality and gender topics because my everyday world is pretty sheltered. However, not being familiar with a setting or topic doesn't mean someone won't find it interesting. Case in point, I thought I would have absolutely zero chance of enjoying Netflix docuseries Chia and ended up captivated by it. In a very similar way, by mid-season of Pose, I was very much into this show and for a number of reasons. On a very surface level, I found Pose to be a fascinating and engaging show. It's a show that's having a lot of fun a lot of the time. Um, At first especially in the first episode, that really was a huge barrier where I was just like, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand the balls. I don't understand what's being achieved. But the thing the show does, and maybe this is where you and I are coming at this at different levels, where you have more familiarity with this world, this setting, 
this community and I don't. And I think it, this show could sometimes be accused of maybe being a bit too PSA, like a bit too public service announcement mm-hmm. in that things are Agreed. so educational as to be directed at me specifically as an audience member. And maybe that's why I was on the level with it. And it it didn't, it starts, it started intimidating, but bit by bit, the show was doing a really good job of helping me to understand why ball, the ball scene was important to the character of this show, what it meant to them, what this did for their community, the sense of community it gave them. Um, and so I, I should go back. It's having a lot of fun with the ball scene. It's having a lot of fun with these characters, with the costumes, with the lighting, with the music, all that. That is fun. There's a lot of energy there. Um, it's the the topics it goes into, the things that are not a part of my everyday life that I would never be exposed to really with my current interest and so forth were also fascinating. Things like learning about having silicon injections to make, give yourself more curves to appear mm. or to pass more as a woman. Um, the interesting just discussion of sexu- sexuality and what it means to be attracted to a trans person, um, whether you are someone who thinks they're straight or doesn't know or knows themselves to be gay or whatever it is, just that idea of sexuality and how fluid it can be and murky it can be was really, really fascinating to me. Um, and then, of course, there's, and this is the PSA side of things, if you've seen things like rent or stuff even, but the idea of just like living day to day in sort of AIDS, the AIDS epidemic uh, or it, during the 80s and so forth. Um, one of the things this show has beyond the interests of it, though, and beyond the setting is it's just got really strong themes that are not revolutionary in any way, but I thought... That when it doubled down on them, it did a really good job with it. This show has a fuck ton of heart. This show is, I wondered sometimes if this is the Fast and the Furious because it has capital F family. The whole house mother and her children thing was completely alien to me. But the show did a great job, I thought, of understanding what our main character, Blunker, is trying to do in that in terms of creating a family for herself that she never had in terms of trying to pass on her wisdom to other people in her community. And it it was a tale as old as time. Chosen family, mother, children roles being taken on there. But because it did had so much intent to do that, I, I fell into that part of the show quite comfortably and really, really enjoyed that. And who doesn't love an underdog story? And yeah, like you said, it can be really black and white sometimes. The good guys are the good guys. They don't have many flaws. They learn from their mistakes too quickly. The bad guys are bad guys. But if you like the Mighty Ducks, if you like the Karate Kid, you're going to find something to like in Pose. Problems with the show for me. I agree with you that most of the performances of this show are fantastic. And your whole point about like that people can play their own uh, people the, from this community can play people on screen is 100% true. MJ Rodriguez and Billy Porter, Billy Porter in particular, holy cow. He is incredible in this show. I thought he was amazing. Um, however, sometimes I found the perform- some of the performances to not be all that great. There's one... Character in particular, played by Dominique Jackson, um, Electra Abundance, that mm. she creates a compelling character for sure, but she also kind of seems to have one level, and that level is yelling mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. And that is not necessarily not a character or personality trait, but I did mm. feel like sometimes the material was not being lived up to by the performance. I will say that I. I think in terms of her 
cadence, and I don't disagree with anything you're saying at all, but in terms of her cadence and the way that she speaks and the way that she approaches things, just purely from what I've seen in Paris is Burning is the most accurate depiction of a house mother. Like that is absolutely how they speak and act. And so I agree with you. And even as I was watching it, I was like, I wonder what, how Broad is taking this type of character. I think she was probably heavily inspired by um, previous depictions of house mothers. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, it's interesting because I, like, I, I definitely believe that. And I think sometimes it was super effective and other times mm-hmm. I was like, this is getting in the way of some real emotion or something like. I mean, yeah, I think the ju- writing betrayed that character more than the performance did in terms of sure. realizations and then going back and then very quick realizations again, that type of thing. But yeah. Sure. Um, I also noticed some of the editing in the pilot was really abrupt. I get the feeling because that pilot runs for 70 something minutes that they probably had to cut it down from something even longer than that. They were trying to trim some mm. stuff out a, a little bit clump, clunky. And that also crept into a few of the earlier episodes, uh, early or episodes that followed that in the early part of the season. But it stopped being a problem the second half. And as shows often do, and I thought this show did, it sort of found itself by the middle of the season. It was much more comfortable in its own skin. And so that problem went away. Um, also, when you talk about like there's a lack of flaws in the characters and there's not enough, there's too much telling, not enough showing, and there's no journey, I don't necessarily think there was no journey. I think there was a really straightforward, obvious arc to the point where the show kind of lost its teeth, any teeth that it had, which it didn't have many of. But in the last couple of episodes, it kind of just became very obvious by the note, pat ending. Mm-hmm. In a way that I think it was ultimately fulfilling, especially if you didn't know you were getting a second season, you wanted to end with something in particular. And I think the thing this show does interestingly, or does really well as well, is it's there's a lot of darkness in this show. There's a lot of sadness and injustice. But it has a great way of balancing that, the good and the bad. Post-season one somehow manages to be, even amongst all that, life and love affirming. And I think that's something I really liked about the show as much as it wasn't groundbreaking storytelling. It wasn't complex storytelling at times. I also just kind of really enjoyed the positivity of it amongst all that. Um, And yes, it ends in a really pat way, I guess, without giving too many spoilers. It's sort of easy to see it coming and it feels like um, the obvious ending for this show, but I don't know. I kind of I felt like it earned it because it was so invested in the heart and the family of these characters. That's my review. Um, yeah, no, I I don't disagree with you on much. Um, I think it does have. Uh, as I was watching, I think one of my notes even said, "This show is like seventh heaven." Sure. In terms of like it's preachiness and like this is the lesson of the day and like we come across issues and problems but um, we move through them really quickly. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, why shouldn't the the queer community, particularly, you know, the queer community of colour have something like that? Absolutely. It is not the show I was expecting. I think I was expecting Mm -hmm. a bit more nuance, a bit more of a a complicated telling of this story. And not to say that it would be dire in any sense, but just like 
a bit more there more levels to the more characters and the stories that yeah um and that's not what i got so i think my expectations were really high for it you know a lot of the people that had told me to watch this show were part of my queer family and they loved it and i assumed i would love it as well um so i think i was expecting a certain type of storytelling a certain level of storytelling that perhaps wasn't there. So maybe my expectations were too high, but yeah, that's that. It just, it tainted my view of it perhaps. What was, what was your final score for Pose season one? <laughs> I am giving it a two out of five. Uh, and that two Whoa. is, yeah, that two is for the talent on the show, which I think is, I don't think you can really doubt that, but in terms of story, I it fell flat for me. It totally fell flat. It was rote. It was the most basic kind of storytelling. There was there wasn't. It was so surface level for me. I wanted. It's such an interesting time with such like an interesting culture. Should have such interesting characters, and it wasn't that interesting. I am genuinely shocked. I honestly <laughs> thought I was coming with the low score. I'm giving it a four. Like I had a really good time with it. More, good, way more than I expected to. And, and like, again, I think my expectation was more I was going to have a problem with like feeling like I understood oh. the setting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but just like, I don't know. I, I, I'm very aware. I shouldn't of say like, gay. I should say queer and trans people. It's not really true. good about gay people. Yeah. But, like, especially after the first episode and, like, because it's such a particular sort of energy and, and world that I am just not a part of, is not a part of my everyday life. After that first episode, mm. I was really worried. I was like, am I going to be able to find my way into this? It's like, and I know I'm going to have to work at it to do that. And the show deserves me to try that. And so when I did find my way in, it was through, like, just the the cliche family you know, everybody supporting each other. Let's let's have a loving community sort of. The yeah. good guys win, and the bad guys lose. You know, I love a chosen family. Like that is my That's the thing. Jam. I thought you were going to be that all over my- this. <laughs> but the thing is what makes a chosen family so special is it is a group as normal, you know, in quotes, normal family is. It's a group of flawed people that see the mm-hmm. best in one another um, and work through those things together to create a, a, a greater whole. I, for a lot of these characters, they weren't really flawed and therefore I did not find them interesting and so I was not invested in the community that they were creating was See, my issue. That's really okay because that's interesting because I think the show is presenting a different idea there because I definitely agree with you. That's normally the case, right? It's just people who... Mm. Uh, yeah, they find each other because they're flawed characters and then that's how they create their family. Mm-hmm. This show was trying to sh- say something else about creating community and family, though, in the sense that it was like, what if the world just rejects you wholesale? There's nothing necessarily wrong with you. You're just different enough that you don't have a community to be. And then so you have to go and create a community yeah. for yourself and how but does the- that work? <laughs> I really disagree with that, though, because just because, yes, the world wholesale does you know, just simply disagree with these people's existence, which mm. is one issue. But that shouldn't stop them from being real people, right, with, like, 
highs and lows and flaws and great things about them. They should be fully colored in people. Like being gay isn't enough. Being trans isn't enough. Like they should be whole characters themselves and simply making them a cause, I think does a disservice from humanizing people. So you, so you think these characters were too much just represent or, or were defined too much by their sexuality and the, their, how they identify. Yeah, uh, by their, they, how they identify who, like in terms of who they are, in terms of labels that the world gives them or perhaps they give themselves and sure. not by who they are as individuals. Sure. And so when we're talking about like, again, trying to avoid spoilers, I think we're doing a pretty good job so far. The mm-hmm. idea of like, they do too much talking, not enough showing. Most of these people's biggest hurdles in life have happened in the past, which they talk about. They got them to this point, they find family mm-hmm. and then they just continue to succeed from there, basically. They have minor hiccups along the way, but like mm-hmm. everything that defined them has already happened. But yeah, and even and simply like, like within- That's what I mean, is that that's the problem you're talking about? Because I, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's so. And even in yeah. the context of existing within their family- they will quite clearly say, you know, I'm acting this way because of this thing. Sure. And it's like that level of perception is great for like maybe one, maybe two characters, but for every character to be like, I am this way because of this trauma feels disingenuous to me. Like that's not how 99% of people and characters that I love to watch exist. And I don't think it makes for a good or compelling story. Fair, okay. I I don't yeah, disagree like with level what you're of, saying at all. That level of like discovery of character and discovery of self is, is mm-hmm. what I think is a really important thing to propel story, and it wasn't happening here. Um, but yeah, that's I, that's what I was looking for, and not everyone's going to be looking for that, and that's fine. And this can be a really heartwarming, lovely tale, and it it does have a lot of like societal issues in that that can educate people or make them feel seen and I think that's really valid but I was really looking forward to like the characters who lived within that world and I wasn't being fed that in the way that I would want there's a lot of people that make this show obviously but it's worth pointing Mm -hmm. out this is a Ryan Murphy show in particular (laughs) is this something we should have expected to some degree where Ryan Murphy is not exactly the king of subtlety and his uh his (laughs) usual buddy his usual partner in crime, Mr. Gwyneth Paltrow, Brad Falchuk. Um, they did Glee <laughs> and all that shit together. Yes. Um, I was I was glad to see that there was uh, a person of colour also on the creative team, thank God, yes. um, in terms of showrunners, which was good. So that was nice. But, yes, Ryan Murphy, notoriously for me, is subpar <laughs> in his creations. But it's nice that he's putting his name towards something that isn't just about being a gay man and that perspective. I'm really looking forward to talking about spoilers with you now. I've got some questions to ask. Ooh. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys hunting seasons to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We would also love you to share hunting seasons with friends and family who you think might also enjoy listening because it's a pretty fucking good show. Next week, we'll be back with our review of I May Destroy You Season 1. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of I May Destroy You or if you have any thoughts on Pose, you can write to us or send us an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at huntingsp cast but right now let's talk spoilers for pose season one you're now entering the spoiler zone spoiler warning from here on we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one of pose before listening any further we recommend watching all of pose up to this point if you've not yet done so proceed with caution there are spoilers ahead you You have been warned Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I think I just want to start by coming to a little realisation we had between segments here about maybe mm. why we've had a different reaction to this show a little bit. And I think yeah. you're, what you're saying about expectations could apply to me as well in the sense mm-hmm. that I, I, it took me a long time to start the show. And lately I've just been having a hard time starting new shows anyway. But I was sort of just like, oh, I really hope I like this show People are telling me it's good, but my expectations weren't high. It was more Mm. that like I, because I knew this was outside sort of my ballpark. It's like, I hope I can enjoy this. I hope I have something to say about this. It's worthwhile. And so when I started to enjoy it as much as I did, I really latched onto that and was like, oh, cool. This is fun. I'm having a fun time. Isn't this cool? And maybe that's why I've had such a positive reaction to it because I I I, had no expectations. I love that. And I heartily, heartily encourage that. I mean, I think the fact that if you can be 
so outside of that world. And I am as well. Like I'm a, a straight looking white gay woman. Um, so I, I am not a part of that world um, at all. I'm very, very privileged. It's just through tangentially, you know, in the, in the queer universe um, somehow related to it, I've exposed myself to kind of queer film and stories about, you know, both drag culture, trans experience and that type of thing. And so I've been probably more compelled to educate myself around that idea. But if, you know, you don't want to cis white privileged dudes that can tap into this show and be like, oh, I really like it. I'm learning something new. I'm discovering a whole new world that I didn't know existed. I think that is worth its weight in gold. And I think that is marvelous that 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 this show can do that but yeah my expectations was because I was somewhat familiar with ball culture um, just totally on the periphery obviously I I don't want to claim that I'm any kind of source of knowledge on it because I'm absolutely not but I wanted to know a bit more I didn't want the perhaps introductory class on it but you know when we're talking about if you want views and eyes on this show to make it that way is probably a really smart way to do it but yeah my expectations were really high and I already had like a a, a base level knowledge of it um so yeah I think that absolutely did play a part in it in in That's our experiences of the show sure it's interesting though as well that you did mention that friends of yours who are close to that culture who are involved in drag and stuff like that really mm-hmm. got a lot out of the show as well so I'm glad to hear it's not just like because if the show was just like hey let's show white uh, straight white men you know about yeah. this world and make sure they get it and enjoy it well that would be kind of that would be condescending I would hate that to be true that was just made <laughs> for me that would suck and I, and I wouldn't want that to be true so I'm glad to hear it's also enjoyed by people of the community no, as well. And I think like, so in terms of like, you know, my queer family watching it and loving it, they're watching it with a very different intention. I'm watching it in terms of reviewing it for the podcast. So perhaps I'm being a bit Just more discerning and less, yeah, exactly. And less celebratory of it simply existing. And sure. so they would watch it and just be like, oh, this is Fabulous. I love this. What a great story to be told. You know, characters we haven't seen before, which is all valid. But in terms of me reviewing it for the podcast, I'm more about what is the story? Who are the characters? What is it giving me um, in terms of those things? And it wasn't giving me a whole lot, but, you know, they, they did love it. And I don't want to discredit that. They had a really positive experience of it. Can we start then by talking about what you did get out of the show? Um, I think one thing I really enjoyed was seeing the journey of people who had been diagnosed with HIV slash AIDS, um, existing in a world where it is all encompassing, it's all around them. And so living in this purgatory, I thought was really interesting and harrowing to watch I think I, I did get a lot out of that um in terms of both Praetel and Blanca the idea of it's always over your head but this idea mm-hmm. that you just I mean you just have to keep living um because you know that's that's all you can really do at that in that point of in time 
you know, you don't have the medications we have now. You know, PrEP doesn't exist yet. Um, This is where they are and also the concern they have, not only for themselves, but their community and wanting to have that outreach to younger people to, you know, try and protect themselves. I thought that was a really interesting and valid and engaging part of the show. It's interesting, yeah. I think those two characters, and obviously they're the two most affected by it in the show, but it's interesting because mm-hmm. they, they approach it from different perspectives or different parts of their life or part, part along the journey a different way with this disease. Blanca is diagnosed in, season, in episode one, sorry. And mm-hmm. you could get... I think a lot of shows would make that the main thrust of their character and journey throughout. Mm-hmm. Instead, it more gets the ball rolling for her to become you know, a house mother and achieve her dreams while she has time, basically. And then mm-hmm. it comes up occasionally as a bit of a reminder, but isn't something that's dwelled upon in the it's show. It's not a defining part of who no. she is, which I think is important. Yeah. Definitely. And, like, if you really want to get into, like, the how you break down a TV show and mechanics and stuff like that, it certainly feels like it could be a ticking clock that could they could use at different times with with her story if they wanted to. They don't do that this season, though. It's more of just, like, a, this happened mm-hmm. and it's shaping my reality to this degree. And then Pray Tell is further along where he has his partner um, deeply affected by it, ends up dying um, from it, and then he's finding out that he... Um, is positive as well. And I, I, for me, like, it was hard not to think of, like, Rent, for instance, which is one of my, probably the touchstones when it comes to, like, uh, musical theatre and queer culture and that sort of setting in, t- in New York, a similar time frame, um, mm. all that sort of stuff. And think of, like, that story and, like, we've seen some of this st- stuff before in that sense. But the conversation he had with his partner... And his partner is trying to tell him, you know, you know, you have to mourn me as hard as you can for 24 hours and then move on with your life because mm. um, you need to live it while you can sort of scenario. And then some of the things that were coming out of Pray Tell, like the idea of like talking about before all this happened and a time where you could love freely and there was no worry that you might hurt yourself or worse of all, hurt somebody else was like mm-hmm. really affecting. And like some of that stuff was a bit on the nose like if you it's not subtle in what it was saying or what it was getting at but I thought it was also very effective and especially when Billy Porter is just fucking killing it every time he's Mm. on screen and really 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 doing an amazing job with the material my girlfriend was watching little bits and pieces along the way with me she's sort of doing other things and jumped in mid-season and at one point during the part where Blanca goes to her mother's funeral and pray tell like gets involved and says you know being nice doesn't cost you anything and then um, some, something else on the way out. Steph was just like, mm. this guy's awesome. I want him to be my friend. I was like, yeah, Pray Tell's the best character <laughs> in this show. There's no way around it. Pray Tell is great. And I love that like when I think of, you know, stories that are predominant in my mind in terms of the AIDS crisis in the 80s, I think of like stories like Philadelphia where sure. it's really kind of that struggle of being HIV positive or having AIDS is really about how it affects the people around you. Um, whereas this story really is about living with it and what that means. And I think that's awesome. Definitely. I 100% agree with that. Um, I'll, can I give you some of the things that I got out of the show? 
that yes please they aren't necessarily because the main thrust of the show is that sort of like these characters have come from bad places they find each other they make each other better and they succeed right like and that's Mm -hmm. if you want to break it down that's what this story mostly is um things that i liked themes that i liked that were woven into this than I was getting stuff out of. And I, I hope the show does more to consider. I just, the idea of like the balls being all about celebrating passing, like it's all about realness, right? It's like, how convincing mm-hmm. are you at being yeah. a woman or a man or looking, p- passing in that part? And then mm-hmm. the at the same time, this maybe juxtaposing, maybe not idea of being yourself. And I think Angel was really, really representative of that as a character in a big way where she passes really easily as a, as a woman, mm-hmm. but maybe hasn't learned how to be herself yet. Even, or even, um, uh, what's her name? Abundance. Um, Electra to some Electra. degree as well. And like mm-hmm. the idea that she passes easily and has been passing for a long time. But having to be true to herself um, to get her own happiness and not rely on other people or or learn to um, find the value in the people around her versus the money that she was getting, et cetera, et cetera. Like those mm. themes to me weren't thrown in my face as much as some of the other stuff. But I thought the mm. way it kept coming up here and there was really valuable. Did you get any of that? Yeah. I mean, I loved all that stuff. I mean, it, it's not overly unfamiliar for me like you spoke earlier mm-hmm. about how you know getting injections and that type of thing we're like oh this is something i haven't seen before it's it, yeah. there's stories that i've either heard or seen before um so i wasn't unfamiliar with it but i did think that they were probably i think the episode where she gets the injections is spoiler might be one of my favorite episodes because i thought there was a lot of great kind of gray area in that whole thing so like like you said the complication of that culture and them also individually really embracing uh the need to be passable to pass Mm -hmm. as a a cis woman um because that is a uh, a point of privilege that is the way that you can because they're faced with at that time and even now so much violence Mm -hmm. um and and such a lack of any type of respect or humanity and all that stuff and so that is a way to gain those things and that's really important um but also like being able to love yourself as well like Mm -hmm. those two things both seem in great contrast but you can also see how they run in parallel as well sometimes like it's it's a really complicated thing and i think that episode where she gets the injections and Electra is also talking about um, wanting her surgery, but also she will lose a, a, a great deal of not privilege, but access, access to privilege mm-hmm. in getting her surgery. That's a huge gray area. And it's a really, you know, gray minefield of things that, you know, trans women and trans people in general, you know, have to navigate. And I loved that episode because that was fascinating to me. It's not something that I have to confront. And Mm. I think, you know, I understood the outlines of it, but seeing it colored in for me was really profound. And I love that because there, there is so much going on there. And, you know, 
there there are two needs at play there there are there's the need to survive simply you know through housing and food and Mm -hmm. that type of thing and then there's also like the human need of being true to yourself and being who you know that you need to be like those two things sitting side by side is really complicated in the world we live in now and then as well because they're not meant to fit together but that's that's who they are that they are the the two things they need and the world tells them that they can't have both even though they absolutely deserve both um so that that part of it is a fascinating story to me and incredibly compelling the other thing pose does is it's in a lot of ways it's showing us and mostly i think celebrating the idea of the ball community and balls and like mm-hmm. you know what that does for these people and it gives them as they talk about they need to create give them something something to have that sort of gives them meaning or something to work towards to celebrate etc right totally get all that what i also like about the show though and maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I felt like it wasn't always saying these. the ball scene was always positive and that it had some mm. negative aspects to it as well. The big one being that, oh, A, just on a, on a very top of it level, there is a lot of meanness around this. Like mm-hmm. people say awful things to each other all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. And actually in episode one, that was a barrier of entry to me. Is like, I don't know if anybody's a good person here because they all seem to be saying terrible, awful things to each other and trying to tear each other down constantly. Um, mm-hmm. Now that might be me just not being familiar with the scene. I thought later on, I started to understand more of the playfulness of it. And that had yes. partly to do with the characters were getting better at reacting to it and what was being done. At the start, it just mm-hmm. felt like everybody was just saying shit to each other to be mean for the sake of it. And I was just like, well, I don't understand what's going on here. So yeah, that absolutely is a part of the the culture. Yeah. Um, so reading is absolutely a part of that. And mm-hmm. it, it has its part to play within it. And I think what I struggled with, because I agree, there is a lot of nastiness there. Um, Mm. And that comes from, I guess, if you are at the bottom of the totem pole, which they talk about, then you realize the hierarchical nature of life. And so you don't want to be at the bottom, right? So if you're already in that bottom rung, you don't want to be at the bottom of that bottom rung. And so it's all about piling on and making sure that, you know, you make a name for yourself, you have respect, and so you at least have that within your own community, even if you don't get it from larger society. Um, What I struggled with in that narrative about like, well, yes, reading is a part of the culture, but leading with kindness is also a strength, which I feel like is a story they were telling through Blanca, what I struggled with was the arc of Electra. Okay, so sure. we have her kind of like really fall very far. Blanca picks her up and she says, you know, Blanca, you've always been my heart. And that's a big moment for her to be in that huge now, moment of vulnerability with Blanca. Can I just say that the- to me was one of my least favorite parts. Like that line in particular was like when I talk about the show losing its edges and stuff, it was, like that was It was terrible. disingenuous. Like where was no. the growth to that anyway? None. Um, yeah. So she has this realization, which is I think a good example of uh, telling, not showing. Um, mm-hmm. And then 
also in that episode we have them at the final ball and, you know, all those girls, her old sisters, they read her to filth and then Electra comes out and tears them to shreds, which tells me you see Blanca's strength, you say that you see it and you value it, mm-hmm. but in no way has that affected <laughs> how you choose to act within the community. Like that was that there was a a thematic dissonance for me. Yeah. I was like, well, w- what is the messaging? Mm. No, I agree with that, and I think that it, that in general speaks to the weakness of the last couple of episodes, where it just sort of it knows it has this ending in sight. It needs the good guys to win. It needs to have the ultimate showdown with the House of Ferocity instead of the House of Abundance, because this stuff's happened with Electra now, and they've created their family, mm. and all the good guys will get together and take down the bad guys, and like. Mm. Those moments are just there to be like the fuck yeah moments. In a way, it's like if I want to just boil it down to my language for a second, because of course oh, everything needs to be football, filtered. Isn't it? Has to be filtered through my lens because I'm a straight white mm. man. That is completely sarcastic, by the way. Please don't take those genuine. But like, <laughs> it's kind of like Endgame, right? It's like in the last that last Marvel movie, you had to have all the heroes come together and all of them interact mm-hmm. in a particular way and you had to have Captain America pick up Thor's hammer and you had to have this and had to have that because those are the notes that you want to hit to make the audience cheer. And that's what mm-hmm. was happening there with that Electra bit where she was reading to filth. Is that what you said? That's a really great phrase. The House of Ferocity. Uh-huh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it belongs to the community. I don't want to take ownership sure. of that, but it, that's totally. what I'm saying, yeah. But like that is that's what that was doing. It wasn't character. It wasn't anything to do with her growth as a character. It was just there to have that fuck yeah moment. And that's mm. where like it like it took these shortcuts to have that to have that big end yeah. game type ending, I guess, if you want that yeah. like And I think like fist if we're ending, if we're talking cis uh, male <laughs> vernacular. Um so like we had you know many films that built to that and so yes you want to see Captain America pick up Thor's hammer there's there's you know flags that go up in other films to indicate that that is a possibility and something that will sure. pay off later yeah however like another issue I have with that you know one of those final scenes where Electra is reading those girls is that we have moments of one one of the sisters being really good friends with Blanca, being a great friend to her and kind of seeing the way that Electra was not a great mother. And then we have the the sister who got the injections and being like, I'm so alone. And so you think that is a moment of growth. But in this final episode, you need a bad guy. And so mm-hmm. those two characters are relegated to that despite what we have seen before of them acknowledging the harm that Electra has caused, the fact that they don't like it, and yeah. then they're just perpetuating it and it's not really justified, which was really uh, just simply annoying for me. I was like, well, this is just bullshit. Like, I don't buy this. I don't buy the fact that they would speak to her that way. I don't buy the fact that this is now the dynamic just simply because it has to be for the narrative. Sure, I, I, I 100% agree with that. You, you took all these narrative shortcuts at the expense of character. Yeah, no, you're 100% yeah. right. Um, going back a little bit to what we're talking about with like reading and the meanness and stuff though, and that idea of like mm-hmm. the totem pole, that was also something I felt really ha- a strong, fascinating thing of this show is just the idea and it's quoted, I think the quote is something like, everyone na- needs someone to feel superior to. And the idea that 
even when this is community, which is trying to create a space for itself because the rest of the world won't give it one, it still finds mm-hmm. a way to exclude people and to make people feel lesser than. And like that is just a part of human nature, apparently. Yeah, well, it's inside. it's learned behavior, isn't it? It's it's totally. a cultural issue that that is then like put into this microcosm that exists as well. That is like yeah, perpetuating the the harshness of the world that they live in. And I just think it's yeah, it's interesting to think of Blanca. Right, we get that flashback to 1982. I think it is when she's going to her first ball and just gets mm. ripped to shreds. Um. Not by Pray Tell, by a different um, host at that event, I guess. And, Mm -hmm. you know, told about her cheap wig and her terrible dress or whatever. And then Electra sees her as someone that she can turn into one of her minions, I guess, and and takes her on board. But it's like, all of that seems very toxic and it makes it hard to get behind the idea of wanting to succeed in this world. Why would you want to succeed Mm. in this world if this is sort of built on this same hierarchical system that they're supposedly rejecting and that's the complexity of it that i like that i just mm. i i don't feel the show is shying away of but i agree with you that it doesn't do enough with it ultimately it's like it's choosing to ignore it when it's convenient for the sake of trying to get something else out of it yeah i mean i i think there is a lack of celebration of the wit that mm-hmm. is in that community and the, and the way that they read one another really is in a base in a fantastic sense of humor, particularly around gender and performance. And I think that is something to celebrate. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be good versus bad. Like they're, they're, they're all individual people and expressing themselves in individual ways where this show tells you that reading is mean and cruel and being like Blanca, who is like this perf- perfect saint of a person, yeah. and that's who you should be. It's like, well, you know, it is part of ball culture, and that's really, and it's a really important part of it, and that's fine. It's only when you use it out outside of its appropriate context that you're actually just speaking down to people and putting them down, which is bad. Like there's, there's way more like nuanced story there than simply like that's bad and this is good and that's the way you should be and that's the way that you shouldn't be. We've spoken a lot now, I think, at least around the characters of Blanca and Praetel and Electra. Mm. How about the children of the house of Evangelista, our other main character, sort of the next level down, I guess? of mm. Damon and Ricky and Angel and little puppy. Um, do you have any connection to any of them? Did you find any of them particularly compelling? Did you find any of them particularly uninteresting? I'm going to get a feeling that you didn't think much about Damon because Damon didn't really have a lot going on except he needs to go to dance school and then sometimes he doesn't pay enough attention, mm. but he's extremely talented and needs to be encouraged to keep doing it. Well, you, you said it all there. That is the I character. That, that's the entire journey. Um, no, the only child of Blanca that I liked and even loved was Angel. Mm-hmm. I thought she was fascinating. I thought her relationship with, I don't know, white guy number two. I can't remember his Stan, name. Stan, um, I believe. Stan and I think it's Patty. That feels they right. gave them really bland names on purpose, I think. Yeah. And well done. That feels right. Um, I thought that dynamic was fascinating 
when mm. it was starting, I was like, please don't let this end in the murder of Angel. I was really worried okay. about that. I'm glad that they didn't do that because I think that would be entirely unnecessary. Um, if not, I mean, it would be accurate for the times and the experience, but I don't think we need to re-traumatize a community that's already been hugely traumatized. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, but in terms of like the individual relationship between those two characters, I was really invested in it, not because I wanted that to be a positive, good relationship, but I was invested because they made it interesting enough from mm-hmm. both sides. So there was investment mm-hmm. from both sides and complications from both sides. And so I was very much invested in that. I thought, well, when I think Angel is just a wonderful character and she's probably one of the few characters, her and Pray Tell make me go, maybe I should watch season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I want to know where she goes. And I think one thing that really, it was a moment in one of the episodes, I think it was my favorite episode between Angel and her boyfriend, whose name I refuse to remember, um, was the discussion Chad. around, <laughs> yeah, John, um, <laughs> was the discussion around attraction and why he might be attracted to her and the complications around that because he acknowledged that he early on before he met her had been attracted through a porn magazine of pre-op trans women. And what does that mean to Mm -hmm. a trans woman? I don't know. I don't know what that feels like. I don't know his experience of that. I don't know her experience of that, but I was fascinated to watch watch it play out. And that was a, a factor I hadn't really thought about. And I, I thought that was that, that part of it was great. But as for the other kids, don't give a shit. Sure. I, let's just, just say that right now. The other kids are not that interesting, really. Mm. Um, I had no notes about any of them, whereas I had lots of notes about Angel and Stan along the way, basically. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. That, that conversation about sexuality and what you're attracted to or who you're attracted to and why... It's fascinating because one of the things I love about it is it doesn't come to any conclusions along the way. A lot, no. There's a lot of times where that's talked about, whether it's about Electra and her sort of um, sugar daddy, you might say, or whether it's about Stan and Angel mm-hmm. or whatever. It's, it's talked about, it's understood to be complex and hard to define and nothing is said. It's not judgment. It's not trying to draw a conclusion mm. or psychoanalyze these people. It's just, it's worth discussing that this is complex. Yeah. And it made and me kind of actively think about, well, what is the difference between fetishization mm. and attraction? Like, where does that line lie? Is it different for every relationship? Is it different for every person? I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know the answers to that, and the show didn't give me the answers, but it made me think about it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, one of the things I did worry about, though, when first of all, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Stan, he's first build on this mm. show. That was annoying me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> what, why? I did notice that quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I do like. Well, he's worked with Ryan Murphy a lot. Sure, sure, sure. He was Quicksilver. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? I've got it here. Evan Peters. Evan Peters. Like, I was really worried. It's like, how much time are we going to spend around straight white guy or suburban white guy who works? I did love mm. the whole working at Trump Tower thing, though, because I thought it was making a really yeah. great. Like, Jason Vanderbeek is having a lot of fun with his character. I love that obviously- we can 
blame that character for Donald Trump being in Home Alone 2. <laughs> yes. Because that was his totally. idea. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I like that 100%. little bit, yeah. Just it, And just the whole, it was obviously taking a jab at how ludicrous and hyper-masculine and toxic this place is without having to be, without having to say, it was actually one of the better places where it did showing, not telling, just by it being mm-hmm. gross and this guy being gross and being to want to be yeah. a Trump acolyte. We can just invoke Trump's name and know that this is yeah. saying this is disgusting, awful, yeah. like mainstream and stuff And I love that like these white powerful people weren't like a shadow on the the culture the that particular uh group of people it sure. wasn't overshadowing them at all it was simply saying that like those two worlds that existed in New York didn't or they did intersect you know what i mean like they yeah. absolutely intersected and were on the same island and those people interacted with with one another and to say that they didn't is absurd. Um, and that was probably a dynamic that played out often with men of, you know, great power taking advantage of or interacting with people, with trans women, with disenfranchised people, people that they could mm. throw their money around and insert themselves onto. Like that was absolutely happening. So I I appreciate it. There were times where I was like, is this too much of that? So um, but I think they I pulled back. Yeah, I think they pulled back when they needed to. Um, but yeah, it, it's certainly up for discussion. I don't think I can really speak to if like, oh, it's too much of that because this isn't, it's not reflective of my community. But yeah, who knows? Yeah, I, I, I was wondering how much is this going to, how much time is this going to take in the show basically? And I think it was, you could probably argue it was a little bit too much maybe, but I don't th- – it was never felt – well, the problem was sometimes it did feel like the focus, I think. Occasionally mm. when you cut to bland white suburban household, I know they're deliberately trying to make it look like the most boring place on the planet. It is so deliberately beige and boring as to draw attention to itself for not being the rest of the show that actually kind of mm-hmm. rather than being a comment just starts to stand out as like, taking up space i don't know it was a weird balance they had to try and pull off i i think they 80 percent succeeded but i agree yeah, with I think you they the mostly stuff, did yeah yeah the stan and angel stuff was particularly interesting did you how do you feel about the inclusion of patty because it was i think like you i kept fearing the show was going to do something it didn't need to do and like yeah. patty showing up at the ball or just mm-hmm. going to find Angel really worried me. When she found out that Stan's name was on that lease and then she still wanted to meet Angel, it's like, you don't need to meet this woman. This is It's not about her. It's about you and your husband. You can leave now. You know that he is fucking around on you, right? But how could you stop though? You know what I mean? Like if you've already got started walking down that path, it'd be very hard not to see them. Um, I actually loved the conversation between Angel and Patty. I, I you know, I thought it. I mean, it was such like a you could grab this moment for like an an Emmy nom of Angel saying like, you know, if you want to know me, know who I am. That's the yeah. last, pl- yeah, know who I am. That's the last place you should look. Uh, which I, I just love a beautiful line. The performance around that, the line leading up to it, is just like uh, Patty saying to Angel, "You're a woman," and like the way that turned from compliment because that is what angel wants to hear to Mm. accusation and Mm -hmm. seeing that change 
in Angel's reaction to that information was beautiful, was so well performed and said so much about the complexity of that situation and Angel existing in the world and what everybody expects how yeah. everyone expects the world to operate. I thought it was. It said everything with nothing. It was beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're the moments that I liked. Is like it's not yeah. what is said. It's how it's said and how it's interpreted and what it means in a larger context. But also, like personally, it's not like I'm going to preach to you about what this means to me. Blah 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 blah. It's just like it's these human dynamics in play with one another. So I really mm. enjoyed that scene because of that which is refreshing in this show. Is there anything else you want to talk about particularly? So can we talk about Blanca for a little bit? We can. If that's Go all right. for it. So Blanca is really nice, obviously, um, but I don't know her beyond her goodness, which made me think that she's a pretty boring character. I mean – so often my notes were saying that, like, you know, the balance of Blanca lecturing and being in, or being inspiring and her being a person who laughs and lives naturally, like, that balance for me was way off. She was always good. She was she, – I mean, other than kicking that guy out of the house, which I don't think was incorrect because she had rules and he broke them. Oh, but them. she was told. She was told it wasn't incorrect. She went to a person who she can trust for having good yeah. advice and was told I would have done the same thing. Yeah. You can I mean, walk Blanca away from this no guilt-free. <laughs> yeah. Blanca has no flaws. Um, and I think that's really boring. I, I have little to no interest in Blanca. And as our protagonist, I think that's a huge detriment to the show. Yes, I agree. I guess it's a question of this is being talked about as being an ensemble show many times. Um, mm-hmm. That Blanca isn't necessarily a protagonist so much as she is like the pillar of which the rest of the show revolves around. It's like, and it is a problem because it means she's not a character. It means that mm-hmm. she is just the vessel from which we facilitate the rest of the show to exist around. Um, and it means that, sure, the ending is not satisfying if you don't want to celebrate Blanca. No, she's always going to win. She's always going to win that title. She was always going Um, to win. You know, she's always going to make the right choice. She's going to lecture you in the right way that really hits home and you, you know, grow as a person or then because of what she said, you do the right thing. I just found all of that incredibly boring. I'm trying to think of the when she got the most, like, where the most flawed she got. Some of the lecturing or, like, the detective work she was doing on the her children, I guess, when she was suspecting little puppy. I don't know. I You're, you're not wrong. It's I'm more interested in the stories going on around Blanca than I am in Blanca, the character. You're 100% right. Mm. There's no way around it. What would you but like to see But she takes up so them? much time of the show. So, like, That's the thing. to there, not there make her interesting where she is a really bad decision. Did you did you enjoy any of the stuff or did you get anything out of the stuff where she was when her mother died and like the complicated nature of someone who left her home whose mother mm. basically disowned her or she had a very 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 
complicated relationship with her mother who sought to find a new mother in this new community to look after her who then goes from that to ne- wanting to be a mother herself because not- neither of her mon- mothers have been perfect and she wants to try and be a better role model to other people in her community who then tries to a build a bridge between one of the but both of them essentially like over the course of this show she's trying to deal with the fallout of one of them dying and the other one needing her help like did any of that Particularly the episode where her I mother mean, died, she's I going to the funeral you, stuff. Quite compelling. I think you told me her journey as much as the show did. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's not interesting to me. Let me see her fall and then through her actions come to terms with her misunderstanding of motherhood, with her taking moments of joy that she got from both of them and combine them to create the the mother that she never had in both iterations of motherhood that she's experienced. Yes, I get on paper what you've just told me sounds really good. But the show doesn't demonstrate that in its in its writing of it. It's so basic and I get it and I sure surface level beautiful. But in terms of me investing in Blanca, who I should be invested in, it falls flat. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any final thoughts to mask? Any side I do not. I left them all on the table, bruh. Excellent. I've got a few. Um, Mm -hmm. That idea that the museum is not going to press charges for them Stealing a bunch of clothes in the opening segments of the of the first episode? Bullshit. You're going to jail for what you did. <laughs> There's no way you're getting away with that. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I did love, I love that episode three, because we love a Christmas episode. Episode we three do. was a Christmas episode. This show knew what it was mm-hmm. doing when it was like, we got to shovel some heart into this. Let's set it at Christmas. Let's go. It knew how to get me on board. Oh my God. That has one of my examples of just... Oh God! Oh that God! That episode, episode, yeah, it was episode three. The quote yeah. was, um, just like the balance of like trauma to just being real humans who exist day to day. I think the line was, in terms of Santa being real or not, <laughs> the quote is, "No one told me up front. It came slow like poison. <laughs> I want to go back to when I was innocent." It was like, for fuck's sake. Thanks, Ryan Murphy. Like, does it always have to be <laughs> that level of serious? Like, can't they just be people who, like, yeah, no, like, I found out Santa wasn't real and it was fucked up. Like, not everything has to be a source of trauma. I love that six is the lowest score possible um, at the balls. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I do really feel like, though, just to get on the balls for a second, the floors of the balls, I really do feel like one of the biggest factors in winning a ball is having money. Like, if you can buy work and makeup and clothes, you are going to win, mostly, except for the actual posing part. But you could buy dance lessons too. And, like, you know, you're 90% of the way there if you just can afford the clothes and stuff. It, am I well, wrong? Well, now you're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race right now <laughs> because uh, that's the exact issue of that show. Really? Um, and it's spoken about very often. People take out huge loans to get on that show to get the right costumes because if in any way, no matter how good or creative your drag is, if it doesn't look so polished that you paid for it 
through a professional, you're eliminated. It's fucked. Particularly when we're talking about drag, which is like the art of the underdog and the unseen. It's absurd. Anyway, but yeah. No, I, um, I was actually more interested, like, I wanted to know more intricate details of ball culture. Like, one, how are they making their money? Can we see them make their costumes? Like, in terms of it being a sport, I wanted to understand, like, how it goes. Like, what are the actual ways that that comes to fruition? But we didn't get that. That is, I 100% agree with you on that. I thought the thing the show was going to do after that, after I found it a little bit impenetrable to begin with, is like, Mm. I I started to understand the importance of ball culture. I did not understand particularly well, apart from like really strong examples of someone being bad at voguing or someone who does not pass at all and should not be like, this is the wrong category for you, of really understanding Mm. what was setting the good like the best mm-hmm. contestants from the worst ones. Like what was going into this to make this work? You just showed up with the right attitude and you won most of the right attitude and enough money spent on costumes and you won. And that seemed to be the thing that was getting people through most of the time. Um, reputation yeah, was a huge about part of realness. it too. A lot of people won yeah. before they even stepped out onto the fucking floor. If, if fucking Electra showed up, apart from one time where apparently they want, well, after new fresh blood or whatever, Electra won every time mm. she stepped down to that fucking room just because of who she she was it's like yeah and also because like realness is like how you get a 10 and so if you're a, <laughs> a passing person then you're already at an advantage to those who are not yeah um i also just in terms of like the logistics of ball culture i don't the this is just this is a complete like nitpick the whole trophy thing was bugging me those trophies mm-hmm. were huge and they were giving them out multiple times a week and you would win a literal wagon full of them and then they wouldn't like there'd be a couple in the corner in the apartments like where were they going were they returning them every night so they could well, redistribute them because that would make sense that. to me <laughs> yeah i did think about that because i had the same thought i was like well what's who's paying for all these trophies do you get to yes. keep them whatever i i just assumed that you kept your trophy for the week and then you brought it back that's what i the hope following it week. is that's why i yeah. hope it is i think that would make sense and like mm-hmm. that, not just forgivable. I totally that fits everything. Otherwise, I'm thinking, where the fuck are these trophies coming from, and where are they going? <laughs> um, I love that we just got two full songs. And like episode uh, mm-hmm. five or six, I can't remember. We got Billy Porter and uh, is uh, MJ? MJ. No, uh, yeah, MJ Rodriguez. Rodriguez just singing. Two full songs, not cut down, not cut away early, not shortened, mm. just like 10 minutes of people doing a great job singing. I really enjoyed yeah. that. I just love a raw display of talent. That was quite nice to watch. That was nice. Uh, I did mm. want to ask you, though, mm. um, what did you think of like the quote-unquote subtle inclusion of the World Trade Center towers in the background of shots? Didn't notice it. Good. That's how subtle it was. I was wondering about that sort of thing because I, I thought they were doing a pretty good job of it. I thought it was like it felt natural. It didn't feel like they were paying attention to it. A couple of shots, possibly by accident, because they may not have known when they were shooting it. Oh, that's where the World Trade Centers belong. Seemed like they were paying. They were like maybe we're trying to make make, make note of it, but it just was included naturally into it. And like if you saw it, it would like hit you. But if not, mm. you might not even notice it was there. I thought that was really tasty. Yeah, I didn't done, notice actually. at all. 
There you go. Least favorite and favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode, Damas? Um, I think ultimately I'll go with episode eight just because I think there was like such a betrayal of character in terms of like character growth and character arcs. And I was like, well, this is just bullshit at this point. Yeah. Episode eight. I agree. My least favorite episode is episode eight, Mother of the Year, for all the things you're talking about. It's just, it takes shortcuts narrative-wise. I still enjoy it for what it's doing. Like, I can get wrapped up in the emotion of just yay this community and yay positivity and yay love and all that sort of stuff, 100%. But yes, Mm -hmm. it it loses its teeth. It loses its character to get there. And so while my pump, my fist might be pumping, um, my brain is sort of going, what? Uh, yeah. What's your favorite episode? So my favorite episode is episode four, um, written by Janet Mock, who I love. But before I realized that, I was like, this is a really strong episode. So it's the one where um, Electra is talking about getting her surgery and we see the complicated balance between, you know, this woman has to negotiate in living the life she wants with pursuing what she needs most, which I thought was great. It was one of the few episodes that took me on a journey with that character or really any character at all. Um, unfortunately, a lot of that good work was undone in later episodes, but I digress. Uh, we also have the complicated situation with Angel and her boyfriend who admits to being attracted to pre-op trans women. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting discussion as well. Um, and something that I've haven't really seen before and it didn't have an easy answer, which I really appreciated. Um, yeah, no, I, I loved that episode. I was like, if this is where this show is going, big props. It didn't go there. <laughs> um, and, you know, if they if I found out in season two, Jana Mock was writing m- more episodes, I'd be more inclined to watch it. Sure. My favorite episode was episode five, Mother's Day. It's not a subtle episode. It is leaning into Mm. all the things that I guess I fell for in the show, which is it's like, yeah, it's not subtle, the stuff that's going on with Blanca and her family backstory stuff, but I thought it was compelling just because it is complicated and it is meaningful. The flashback to 982, seeing how her and Electra met for the first time, this ongoing discussion of what it means to be a mother of a house. Um, I don't know. I just... Like that capital F family stuff, the same reason you go see a Fast and the Furious film, apart from the fast cars and explosions, is <laughs> was there in this episode. And it, mm-hmm. it was obviously really, really investing a lot of its energy and time into it. And it was paying off well enough for me that I was like, oh, I'm really invested in the heart of this show, at least. I don't think mm. your, um, your nit- not nitpicks, your problems with the show are incorrect. I actually think they're 100% spot on. I guess for whatever reason, I just found there was enough there for me to enjoy as a watcher of the show that I was along for the ride at that point. Predictions, hopes, and concerns going forward. There is a season two. There is going to be a season three, apparently. I hope that the show finds a better balance between character and issues that Mm -hmm. characters face. I hope there's a greater understanding of not only how issues affect characters, but just how they go through their day-to-day life. I want a better understanding of who people are because that's what makes, you know, an issue more than just a headline. It becomes mm-hmm. uh, affecting as an audience member. That That is my, that's my hope for season two. What about you? 
Sure. I'm just very curious to see where they go next because in a lot of ways, I think this sort of ended so neatly as to not know where what you would do. Like, Blanca mm-hmm. already didn't have a particularly, particularly compelling storyline for all the reasons mentioned. Um, but maybe this is an opportunity to find a new angle with her, a new complication, a new something they want to do with her. Angel as well feels so self-actualized at the end of this. So she's ended that relationship with Stan. She's moved on. She's going to, you know, it just is like, so what's, I don't know what's next for any of these people really. Um, mm. That I probably a symptom of not knowing you're going to get a season two and wanting to not leave threads dangling or things unfulfilled. But it does leave us with just not much to go on as to what season two will be about. But I'm, mm. I am obviously more positive on the show than you are, and I'm very curious to see what happens next. Mm. I think that is it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at bgordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss I May Destroy You Season 1. Very much looking forward to that. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Good night, everybody. And so, we